He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year. My name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to preach to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for everything that's happened up to this point, the way you have been present here. It's unmistakable, and we give you thanks. It's been your initiative, and would you now come? and meet us as we spend time, um, an extended time, just looking at your word. In Christ's name, amen. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him that he might save us. That prophecy from Isaiah is the very promise that Jesus is unfolding in this account and this parable. The image of a banquet has long served in the Bible as a symbol of salvation, of God's rich mercy, of God's offer of friendship, his offer of fellowship. And it would have been natural, as his dinner guests heard that promise of Isaiah read, that they would have imagined we'll be on the guest list. But Jesus challenges that idea. He challenges the assumption that they will be on the guest list of God. And he does so with us too, even in our modern age. 
the assumptions that we have about who will actually enjoy the hospitality of God. There are some within the church that are like the Jews of that day that presumed because I have affiliation with the church or I engage in participation in the church, that will give me the place on the guest list because I agree with the morality and theology of the church. And then there are some outside of the church that say, well, if there really is a God and there really is a final banquet, you know, maybe I can slip in. I was thinking about uh, the story in 2009. It, it got a lot of press of the couple who crashed President Obama's first White House state dinner. You might remember that. Uh, they managed to uh, get announced by a Marine, uh, meet the chief of staff, get two photos with the vice president, and then also have a private, uh, have a greeting with the prime minister of India and the president himself. Pretty successful. Maybe with some, the thinking is, well, maybe I can slip in. Jesus actually addressed this a couple verses earlier. He said, uh, or rather in Matthew, where he's talking about a wedding feast and someone that comes in without an invitation and they're caught and they're cast out. Obviously, God's security is a little tighter in heaven. And then there's those inside the church and outside the church that say, well, if I get to that point and I'm staring at the bouncer into the meal, you know, maybe I can persuade them. I can just sort of talk my way in. I was looking at some articles uh, this past week on how to get invited to a party if you've been passed over. Not because I was. Even though I have to tell you, I had this conversation with Meg where uh, there's a group of guys in the church that took a vacation. And, uh, Meg, and, and, and Meg said, uh, and they invited me along. Invited me along and their Facebook pages were coming up and Meg said, oh, so-and-so's there. And I said, you know, they invited me on the trip. And she paused and said, Glenn, they didn't want you to go. <laughs> and then she said, look at them all. They're single, they're young, you know, they're, they didn't really want you to go. For the next couple miles of our trip, things were sort of quiet. <laughs> but there are different things, right? There's different advice you get if you, if you get left out. Maybe it's, well, I'll just casually mention to one of my friends that I wasn't invited. Maybe I can go as the plus one. Something a little bit more daring is to offer your services some skill to the host. You know, maybe I can come and decorate. Maybe I can replenish ice and drinks. Or maybe I can donate supplies. You know, I can buy all the drinks or something like that. Um, well, the good news, uh, getting onto God's guest list is much harder and easier than that. As Jesus sits with this group of religious leaders, leaders of Israel, he instructs them how God's guest list works, uh, both who is on the guest list and how we come to enjoy it. And as we're looking at this theme of family of God throughout this year, and particularly now Jesus' comments on that, let's look at those two questions. First of all, who is on God's guest list? Now, as custom, after church or synagogue, there's a lunch, and Jesus gets invited. Actually, it's a dinner. Maybe it's a midday meal. We don't know, but it's a dining, a lavish dining. 
It's not a potluck. Uh, I guess you could say it was more of a grilling, so to speak, uh, because he is invited to dine with some wealthy, well-connected religious officials who are very critical of him. Uh, we might liken it to, in fact, the ruler of the other. It would be sort of like a bishop and priests inviting someone to come. And the reason isn't best practices, to share about that, we're told in the verse just before this one that they were watching Jesus carefully. They were critics. Now, I don't know about your tendency, but if I know I'm going into a situation like that, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to be very careful with what I say. I don't want to give them any ammunition. I'm going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to kill them with charm. And that's because I'm an approval suck. It's because I'm a, a people pleaser. Thankfully, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus instead says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite people like this. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. See, he understood what was happening. The religious leaders loved to have these meals where they were really about uh, self-promotion. They were about networking. They were about getting power and posturing oneself for social power. And so the awkward silence that followed, we may have thought, well, Jesus is just being rude. He's actually trying to help them. He's trying to help them. Just before this paragraph, he had said, if you go to a wedding feast, don't seek the place of honor. Look to be exalted. Don't promote yourself. Don't exalt yourself through hospitality. And he adds, abandon this quid pro quo hospitality where I do for you and you do for me. And we're familiar with that. You know, maybe we host an event and we hope a job will come out of it or a friendship or maybe a date. I was thinking of the character in Harry Potter, Professor Slughorn, and uh, he's in just such a great character, portrayed so in the movie. But one of the things he loves to do is collect talented and well-connected students. He likes to collect them in his little club so he can get their picture up on the mantle. Likes to boast in those pictures. It's easy for us to do hospitality and do it in a way where we'll get paid back. Maybe it's, you know, we invite people that will impress other people. Maybe we invite people who are just entertaining. Let's get that one friend that's really funny. You know, he'll, he'll add to the night. Or someone that likes to bring the food and do all these things. It's, it's this idea of repayment. Who we invite around our table says a lot about us and our values. And the values of these religious leaders were moral, social, and spiritual superiority. That's what they gathered so there they are in the silence, and then one guest tries to diffuse things, like anybody would probably do. And he, you know, he breaks the silence and says, well, blessed those who will sit around God's table. And the presumption is that he and the others will be. And that gives Jesus opportunity to go a little bit further and extend his teaching. He tells a parable. He tells a parable of a master who has a grand feast, but his original guest list rejects him and doesn't come. And so he sets out another invitation and gathers two different groups. The first group 
the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, those were the ones in Israel who were outcast and oppressed. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, they would have represented the useless. In fact, the Pharisees may have thought they're in that position because of their own doing, their own lack of responsibility. And the second group are the highways and the hedges. These represented the non-Israelites, the Gentiles in the nations. So the first invitation goes to the oppressed and the outcast, but the second one goes even further to those that are seen as enemies and unclean. I don't know if you've ever sat down at a meal, lunch or dinner, and you have certain assumptions about the person you're meeting with, but by the time that you're done with the meal, you don't have them anymore. It's changed. I've heard it said that if you want to foster unity, one of the best things you can do is ask someone who's of a different opinion of you, of different beliefs, ask them to lunch. Sit across the table with them. I had an experience right before Christmas um, where an elder in uh, this region of churches, someone in a different church, someone I'm just sort of an acquaintance with, had asked in the summer, hey, can we have lunch? I'm near your office. And uh, I was willing to do it, but to be honest with you, there's, there's like, you know, there, there's like you and other people, right? I, you only have so many lunches. And so it wasn't like I put it on the, the front burner, okay? But we finally got together, and uh, we had a good meal. We talked about, he just asked different questions about the church. We talked about the cross-cultural nation of God's king, uh, nature of God's kingdom. We talked about where our denomination was and all these different things. And then at the end, he said to me, as he paid for the check, he said, uh, hey, thanks a lot. You know, what I like to do is I just randomly, I just pick people around our presbytery to have lunch with just so I can get to know them. You know, just because you always learn something. And I think it really brings unity together. And I thought, this guy's actually doing the things that I have said for years and years, but have not done, right? Across from the table, change occurs. I don't think um, I'm alone to say I am exhausted with the division of our nation and our culture the political division, the racial division, the culture wars. I, I, I talk to many of you. I think we all feel it. And I wonder, could we do some good across from a table, someone we disagree with? Could that actually be something that makes a difference instead of just humping, right? Complaining, sighing at the newspaper. But how do we get to that table? How do we enjoy God's hospitality? If you've ever tried to host a dinner, you know one of the hardest things to do is actually to get people to come, right? Sit there and would, would you just fill out the evite? And don't give, don't give me the maybe. Just, you know, make a decision. You know, the yes or the no. Well, if you felt that way, God knows how you feel. Jesus knows how you feel. Because he had tried long to get people to his table, to his dinner, especially the religious leaders. And so he tells a parable about this. A master who decides to have a great feast, and he is rebuffed. He's rejected. There's two guest lists that have been happening. The first one, the original guest list, uh, were those that are mentioned, the people that gave excuses. Now, you need to know in that culture, the way things work was uh, there was an initial invitation 
But that wasn't like a save the date. That was more like the RSVP because it took several days, right, maybe even weeks to get the food together. And so when you said yes to that first invitation, that was I'm coming. I'm committed because the day of, they sent out the messenger, and that's ringing the dinner bell. That's saying, hey, it's time to eat. The feast is ready. And so the day comes, and the master is treated to lame excuses. And how do we know they're lame excuses? Well, this is where a little uh, contextual background helps. Um, Kenneth Bailey, Professor Kenneth Bailey, who was, uh, he taught and lived in the Middle East for 40 years, an expert on this thing, says anybody in that original audience would have known that these excuses were bogus. In that culture, they were so obvious. You know, maybe it would be like us saying, I'm sorry, I got taken up by a flying saucer and I wasn't able to make your dinner, you know, or something like that. So what do we hear? First, we hear someone say, uh, you know, I'm sorry I can't come. I need to go look at, uh, I need to uh, go to this field that I have bought and look at it. And he says, well, that's absurd because in that day, no one would buy a field without looking at it first. I mean, you know, you, you knew where the, the boundaries were, the walls were, the wells were, the springs were. You always look before you buy. And same with the oxen. No one would buy a team of oxen without first seeing them work a field. And then even on the marriage, it wasn't because the wife just didn't want them to have fun. How likely would it have been in a small community that there was a wedding that day and he wouldn't have known of it? In fact, if he would have known it, he wouldn't have scheduled the banquet. So as Jesus is telling this, it's clear these excuses are really false. They're lies. What's the message they're sending? We don't want your hospitality. We don't want to be in your company. We don't want your presence. We don't want your presence. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how might we do that with God? How might that happen? I think one way that's happened in our day and age is we depersonalize God. I was having a conversation, actually I had two conversations over the holidays with some relatives that led to spiritual things. And uh, I was actually glad to see that they had made some progress in their beliefs. We were talking and they said, listen, I, I know now that this isn't all by chance. Something, someone did all this, and also there most likely is an afterlife. And I said, that's really significant progress you've just made. That's a lot. I said, well, you know, let's think about this for a second. That's something, you think it's likely it could be a someone? I mean, that would seem, because we're someones, Right? Life is so personal. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it seem that? And I said, well, let me give you a, ask you a question. You're grateful, right, about stuff in life? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're all grateful. I said, what do you do with your gratitude? Right? I mean, your gratitude's got to go somewhere. I, I might be grat- grateful for my phone or some chair, but, you know, it's not like I sit there and go, you know, thank you. You know, I love you. You don't see people doing it. Naturally, what it's going to go to is, man, I'm grateful for this phone. I'm, I'm grateful for these people that made this phone. I'm grateful for the brilliance that made this phone. All the technology, right? You can't help but get to a person. And so I said, well, may- maybe, you know, maybe that, but that's a big step, isn't it? Because the moment that you acknowledge there might be a someone, then things get personal, don't they? They have to get personal. And so I think 
we can depersonalize and say, God, I don't want your presence in the way we do it is that. But Christians have their version of it. They make their faith about correct theology or social justice, about keeping laws or just participating in community life. But there's not a whole lot going on here with God. Or it's, as I mentioned, a quid pro quo sort of faith. I'm in a repaying a transactional relationship with God, whereby I will stay in this relationship if he delivers on the long-time desires I've had. Success in my field, or maybe a spouse, maybe children. You fill in the blank. One of the most chilling passages in Jesus' teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, where it pictures the last day, which would also be right before the great feast. And there are people that are rejected from his presence, like those that are rejected from this feast, and they're stunned, just like these men would have been stunned by that last line saying, I tell you, none of them will come in my banquet. They knew who he was talking about. He was talking about who they regarded as the sinners and the outcasts and the Gentiles. And in that exchange, they say, but Lord, I mean, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we speak your name to people? And didn't we oppose evil? And didn't we as well serve and do mighty works of service? And his reply to them is, I never knew you. We never sat across from the table. There wasn't like this hospitality thing in our relationship. There's no desire for real communion. There's no desire for presence above all things. But ultimately, under all these things, is a belief that I deserve to be on the guest list. I deserve to be at the banquet. Let me me tell you why by explaining this last group. The second guest list, as I told you, the outcast and outsider, the master sends his messenger... And you notice uh, they have to be compelled or persuaded to come. Now, some of that was custom where when you received an invitation, it was humble to decline it the first time. But after that, there's much more going on here. The reason for their hesitancy to go is because they realize who it is that's asking them to come to the feast, how far he is above them, and that they have no way to pay him back. They have no way to repay They understand that it's ultimately a table of grace. It's a table where you're invited to enjoy the hospitality and unconditionality and the sheer generosity of God by grace. It reminds me of some songs that talk about the connection between banquet and meal and salvation. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus stands to save you. Come, ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus and buy. Or that old simple spiritual, for all who thirst, come to the water. Come to the water. You know... The grace of Jesus' gospel is so otherworldly. You see, in the kingdom of Jesus, grace is not, um, it is not 
a fair response. It's not equitable. It's not even proportional. Grace is outrageously, overwhelmingly lavish. It doesn't make any sense. Even as I had this conversation over the holidays in eternity of the afterlife, and I said, well, you know, what if, you know, you're not right and there is a person in the whole banquet thing? And immediately the person had to go to the place, well, you know, you're going to tell me that the, the, the really bad person that killed a bunch of people, you know, that they're going to get into heaven just because they pray a prayer, but I'm not when I've tried to be a good person? And I said, that's a fair question, but, let, you know, but really that's sort of a straw man. There's not a lot of that. And a few of it, well, we, we can talk about that. But ultimately, we fall back on this idea that I'll talk my way in, I'll prove my way in, when what you have to do to enjoy the hospitality of God, my friends, is come. You have to come. You have to move toward him. He is a person. I read uh, a quote that just really I thought was worth repeating to you. It was a comment on this parable. And the theologian said, the host initiates a new community grounding graciousness, and listen to this, and uncalculating hospitality. Uncalculating hospitality. The kind of hospitality where it's not quid pro quo, it's not I get this from you, I do this to this. It is a free, unconditional hospitality. The hospitality of those that understand the grace of God. And for those of us that are in the feast and have tasted of the food, our job is to be a messenger and go out and invite. One of the things you happen with the host, one of the transformations, and he's no longer governed by the old system. He's no longer governed by, I want to invite this strategic person and this strategic person. His eyes are opened up and he just leaves the invitation wide open. And so the hospitality no longer looks like, if you vote for me, if you look for me, if you share my passions and my culture wars, you'll sit with me most of the time. It's a different sort of thing. So as the family of God, we enjoy a very powerful weapon. It's our tables. It's our hospitality. And there's good news, friends, because the Messianic banquet has come. It's here. And the host wants the place full. He's going to keep sending people out until that thing is filled. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you set your table before us. Thank you for um, Christ, who is the Lord of the banquet. And thank you for inviting us as is. In Christ's name, amen.